looking at Exodus chapter 20. I'm going to be focusing on verse 7, but I'm going to read um, all 10 of the commandments. Exodus um, chapter 20. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the children on the, on the, of the fathers to the children of the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox or his donkey or anything else that is your neighbor's. This is the word of our Lord. Please be seated. And let's pray again together. Heavenly Father, as we approach your holy word to consider your holy name, Lord, I pray that you would help me to honor your name. Help all of us, Lord, to honor your name, to revere you for who you are. Lord, please help us to see what your name is and what your name means and how you're calling us to respond to your name. Lord, please reveal ways that we dishonor your name with our words, with our actions. Help us, Lord, to repent of this. Help us, Lord, to flee to Christ. And Lord, help us to walk in repentance and faith, giving your name the honor that it is due. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23, as Jesus is drawing towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he declared, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers 
of lawlessness. Many people use the name of the Lord but have no idea who He really is. Many people exalt the name of the Lord with their words but dishonor Him with their lives. Many people know the name of the Lord but are not known by Him. The name of the Lord is on many lips, but in very few hearts. We hear the name of the Lord on television, in books, and in movies. We hear the name of the Lord in conversations. We hear the name of the Lord used often, but most often his name is used blasphemously as a swear word or is otherwise taken in vain. We've looked at the first commandment and we saw that it's essentially saying that you shall not worship any false god. We saw that the human heart is a, a factory of idols and that we so easily worship things other than God. We looked at the second commandment and, and saw that you, sh you shall not engage in false worship. And that even if we are claiming to worship the right God, if we're doing so in any way other than what God requires in Scripture then this too is idolatry. We saw how the, the first two commandments encompass all of life and are obviously vitally important. But the third commandment to the casual observer might seem like it's not such of a big deal. It might even seem like it's, it's not too hard to keep. People often think that all that the third commandment requires is to avoid blasphemy, not using God's name irreverently. Well, obedience to the third commandment is certainly no less than not using God's name wrongly, but it is, in fact, much, much more than that. Again, we've already seen how the, the first two commandments, that, that they have much broader impl implications that first appears. And likewise, this is also true of the third commandment. The third commandment has very broad implications and very broad application, in fact, to all of life. So in order to understand what it means to, to not take the name of the Lord in vain, we have to first understand what the name of the Lord is, what the scriptures mean when they refer to the name of the Lord. The, the, the phrase that the name of the Lord is, is used often in Scripture, in fact, 211 times. Consider verses like Deuteronomy 32.3. For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. Or, or Psalms 8.1. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Or Psalms 113 verses 2 and 3. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore, from the rising to the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Friends, the name of the Lord is immeasurably more than a combination of, of letters put together to make a sound. The name of the Lord represents who He is. It represents God's awesomeness, His authority, and His attributes. And the name of the Lord is also part of God's self-revelation to us. A.W. Pink says that, that by the name of the Lord our God, God is signified 
God is, sorry, by the name of the Lord our God has signified God himself as he has made known to us, including everything through which he has been pleased to reveal himself, his word, his attributes, his titles, his ordinances, and his works. Well, the basic name for God in, in the Old Testament is El, which likely comes from the, the root for, for power or preeminence. And, and sometimes that name appears on its own, like in Genesis 33, 20 or Malachi 2.10. But often the name El is often paired with an adjective to describe something of God's character. Is it a title? So for example, um, El Shaddai, which likely means God Almighty. And the name is also used um, when, when, when God makes his covenant with Abraham in, in Genesis 17, verse 1. Another is El Olam, the everlasting God in Genesis 21.33. One of the best known names for God is Elohim, as we saw back in Genesis 1.1, which is commonly translated God in our Bibles. But notably, Elohim is a, a plural form, but it has a singular meaning. You see that right there in the first verse of the Bible. In that first verse of the Bible, you, you see the, the tri-unity of God. Elohim often occurs in conjunction with, with Yahweh, which means I am. This is often translated, as we've said many times, as, as capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D in your Bibles. This is often the, the this, is, this is arguably the most recognizable name of God in the scriptures, and, it, and it's, it's also his highest name. Yahweh actually appears over 7,000 times in the Old Testament, his name. When Moses asked God his name in Exodus 3.13, the Lord responded, I am who I am. That's what Yahweh means. It means I am. And so God said, say to this people, Israel, I am has sent me to you. The Lord is the I am. And so he's revealing in his name, he's revealing who he is and who he is for his people. In Exodus 34, the, the meaning of the name Yahweh is developed further. The Lord tells Moses in chapter 33, Exodus 33, that God is going to pass before him and proclaim his name. And then in chapter 34, the Lord tells Moses to cut two tablets of stone to replace the ones that Moses broke in the incident with the, the golden calf. And then God is going to reveal his name, Exodus 34, 5 to 8. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head towards the earth and worshiped. This is the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord reveals who he is and reveals what he does. So then what does it mean then to, to take his name in vain? Well, the word that's translated in vain means, means empty or worthless or fake. So when you understand that the, the name of the Lord represents who he is, 
It's unfathomable that anyone would, would ever treat his name as empty or worthless or fake. But nonetheless, that is exactly what people do. In fact, it's what all people do to one degree or another. It's what you and I do all too easily. And so this commandment is meant to reveal God's will for us, what he would have us to do with regards to who he is and what he would have us not do with regards to who he is. And so the third commandment is essentially saying that you shall not dishonor God's person or God's character. So again, the first commandment is about worshiping the right God. The second commandment is about worshiping the right God in the right way. And the third commandment is about revering the right God rightly. You could say that the third commandment is, is about holding God's name in, in high regard. Worshiping him again for, for who he is and worshiping him for what he does. And as with the first and the second commandment, they, they include the, the very nature of God and the application of those commandments applies to all of life. So does the third commandment apply to all of life. Edward Fisher in his Marrow of Modern Divinity says that, that the Lord in this commandment does require that we sanctify his name in our hearts, with our tongues, and with our lives. Take a moment to reflect on Colossians 3.17. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord, giving thanks giving uh, to the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So whatever you say, whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Give thanks to God the Father through Jesus. So in all of life, you are to consciously reverence the Lord. That's what it means to obey the third commandment. And once again, where the, there is a duty required, there is a sin forbidden. Thomas Watson says that where any sin is forbidden, the contrary duty is commanded. When we are forbidden to take God's name in vain, the contrary duty is that we should reverence his name is commanded. Question 60 of the Baptist Catechism asks, what is required in the third commandment? Answer. The third commandment requires the holy and reverent use of God's names, titles, attributes, ordinances, words, and works. So that's the, that's the, the, the positive sense of it, the, the, the obedience that's commanded. Well, the, there is a contrary sin forbidden. Question 61, what is forbidden in the third commandment? Answer, the third commandment forbids all profaning and abusing of anything whereby God makes himself known. All of life is meant to be worship. All of life is meant to be lived in devotion to God, out of reverence for God. But I want to focus specifically on your speech and your actions in general before I focus more specifically on, on specific acts of worship. So we're going to consider how we are commanded to reverence God in our words, our works, and our worship. So first of all, in our words. 
Again, although there's a lot more than just our words that are in mind here, I want to focus mainly on this. This is where I'm going to, we're going to spend the bulk of our time, at least initially. There are only two legitimate ways that we can refer to any of God's names, titles, or attributes. Only two ways. For God's glory or for our edification. The only way that, that you are allowed to speak of who God is or the way that God is, is for ultimately for the glory of his name. But also as in relation to that, we are also only to speak of his name in ways that will promote his glory, to edify ourselves, to edify each other for the glory of his name. You have been given the privilege of knowing the name of the Lord. Now, people all around the world use all kinds of, of false names. There's all kinds of, of false gods out there. And there are all kinds of people who, who use the name of the Lord, but, but don't actually use the name of the Lord in the right way. There's all kinds of people who, who use the name of the Lord in a way that, that denies who he is, that, that undermines his glory, not adding to it. General revelation in, in nature reveals some of God's character. We, we, see, we see some of, of who God is as we look around at, at creation. Romans 1 speaks to this. The special revelation in Scripture is there to guide you into a deeper understanding of who God is. So general revelation is not enough. We, we need special revelation in Scripture. The full implications of, of who God really is, of, of the full implications of his name, can only be spiritually discerned, only in the lives of those who've been born again through the work of the Holy Spirit. But even all of eternity will not suffice for you to comprehend the glory of that name. When the name of the Lord is on your lips, it must be aimed at the glory of his name. God is zealous for the glory of his name, and so must we be. We are to, as Psalm 29:2 commands, we are to ascribe the Lord the glory due his name. Think about what a, what a high calling that is. Think about the glory of the name of the Lord, and, and we're never going to be able to achieve that, but we aim at that. As we're guided by Scripture, we aim at glorifying God's name as, as He's revealed to us and as He bids us to do so in His Word. So your conversation must be full of His praises. Praising God for who He is. Praising Him for all He does. I wonder how often in, in the course of daily life, of daily speech, do you praise the name of God to the people around you? How often are you, you consciously and, and reverently exalting the name of God in your conversation with, the, with your family, with your friends, with your, your co-workers, even with strangers? Think about how often you talk about sports. 
or the weather, or politics, or your family, compared to how much you talk about God. As you begin to grow in your understanding of, of who God really is, e even talking about these things, even talking about the weather and sports and so on, can, can actually become occasions for praising the name of the Lord. Because as you, you praise God for, for giving you something like sports to enjoy, and I'm an Ottawa Senators fan, so I don't praise very God, God very much for the Ottawa Senators, but, but, but as, we, as we enjoy these things that God gives us in His common grace, we're actually putting, putting things like sports in their proper place. As we, we talk about the weather, just, just think about the fact that, that every droplet of water that makes up every cloud around the whole world has been put there and is being held in place by God's sovereign providential power. You're not going to complain about cloudy days when you realize that. Or politics. When we, we praise God for the fact that that he is the one who, who raises up one authority and, and takes down another. That our own prime minister is, is there as a, a sovereign act of God. It becomes an opportunity for us, yes, to pray, but also to praise God for his sovereign power. And an opportunity also to, to praise God for the, the freedoms that we currently enjoy in this country. So how long can you go without talking about God? How long can you go without breathing? Most people think, again, that using God's name in a wrong way is breaking this commandment, and, and it is. But failing to use God's name in the right way is also breaking this commandment. If you, you don't use God's name, you're breaking this commandment. But again, when it comes to, to using God's name in a, in a wrong way, we as I mentioned earlier, we, we hear this all the time, don't we? God's name is, is used flippantly or as a swear word or all over the media. Last Monday on, on, on BC Day, we took the kids for a hike. And at one point, there was a, a lady who was climbing up a, a, a bank nearby, and she loudly used the name of Jesus as a swear word. Now, it really bothers me when I hear God's name used like that, especially the name of Jesus Christ. He is the Lord. He died for our sins. His is the name above all names. And when I hear his, word, his name used wrongly, I almost feel it physically in the, the pit of my stomach. Now, I don't know about you, but, but I can't sit through a movie where the name of Jesus Christ is used as a swear word. As you can imagine, that, that takes a lot of movies off the list. I don't want to be entertained by those who are using God's name in the wrong way. I figure, as I said to the kids, I wouldn't want to hang out with someone who curses my earthly father. How much less should I want to pay money to spend time with those who are cursing my Lord? There was a time when I used the Lord's name wrongly. Now, I don't remember any specific incidents as, a, as an unbeliever, but, but I'm sure because of profanity just poured out of my mouth, I'm sure that, that as part of it, 
the name of the Lord was included. And there was a time. And I remember this like it was yesterday when I was a brand new believer. And I was riding my bike and, and a car came very close to me and actually ran me off the road. And I used the name of Jesus as a swear word in my fear, my shock. It actually caused me to, to stop, to get off my bike, as I remember, and to, to, to think about what I'd done that had blasphemed the name of Jesus. But friends, there are many times when we use the Lord's name in vain without using it as a swear word. When you say things like, God help me, or, or the Lord bless you, or, or even praise God without meaning it, you're taking the Lord's name in vain. God is not to be spoken of. The name of God is not to be invoked without conscious and reverent awe. So obedience to the third commandment is certainly no less than using his name rightly and avoiding blasphemy, but it is in fact far more. When you talk to others about God, let me ask you, are you talking theology to sound pious or smart or, or to be right? Theology must lead to doxology. Talking about God must lead to praising God. Talking theology as mere head knowledge is forbidden as part of the third commandment. When we engage in what is only an intellectual exercise just to be right, and though we technically might be right, we are actually quite wrong. We might think that we are honoring God with our right doctrine, but we're actually dishonoring God because in those moments our hearts are far from Him. But it has been so encouraging to hear so many of you, especially at our, our Wednesday Bible study, praising God, talking about the way that, that God is, bringing God's truth to bear in your lives, the way he's, he, that God is at work. You're, you're praising God with right theology. And God is glorified in this. And it's not just on Wednesday nights. I, I hear this as part of, of the general conversation of, of so many of you. But it's not just the words on your lips that are in view here. For the words on your lips proceed out of the abundance of your heart. As Jesus used Isaiah 29, 13 as an indictment against the Pharisees in, in Matthew 15, 8. We, we spoke about this verse last week. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Calvin said that the end of this precept is that the Lord will have his, the majesty of his name to be held inviolably sacred by us. That whatever we think and whatever we say of him should savor of his excellency, correspond to the sacred sublimity of his name, and tend to the exaltation of his magnificence. So not just your words, but, but how often are your thoughts filled with reverence for God? As you walk through life, as you sit down with your family, as you drive to work, as you do your work, are your thoughts filled with reverence of the Lord? You know, I have a, a huge blessing and privilege of being able to, to spend 
the week, much of the week studying God's word. But even in studying God's word, it is possible for me to be able to take God's name in vain by just, just thinking about, I'm just preparing for a sermon. Not actually worshiping and revering God as I'm, I'm thinking about these things. I have the privilege each week as, as you know, I've had people say to me, well, that, that sermon hurt. Realize that, that through the course of the week, that these, I've been preaching these truths to myself all week. So I'm just sharing a little bit of the hurt with you. And hopefully applying the blessings and the comforts of the gospel are only comfort. I spoke a couple of weeks ago about, about how the, the things in life, about our, our job or our, our family and these things that we, we have can be, become idols. But, but again, when you consider that God has given them to you, they assume their proper place. In fact, you end up enjoying them even more as gifts from God's loving and gracious hand. So that the gift becomes that much more valuable in your heart and your mind because of the giver. So, but it's not just enough to have right, right thoughts about having, sorry, about having thoughts of God, but to have right thoughts of God. Of course, we're talking here about right doctrine. You know, when I've talked to people in, in the context of evangelism about their, their need to turn to Christ in, in repentance and faith, I've had a number, I've talked to people about, about the way that God is going to punish unbelievers eternally in hell. And I've had people respond to me, well, my God would never do that. Well, that's true. Their God never would do that. Because their God is not the God of the Bible. But it's not just those kinds of thoughts, the thoughts of, of unbelievers. Any false doctrine is actually breaking the third commandment. I wonder, does your understanding of who God is line up with Scripture? Is your understanding of who God is grounded in Scripture, or is it grounded in your experience? Is your understanding of, of who God is guided by Scripture, or are you worshiping a God different from the one presented in Scripture? All of these things are breaking the third commandment. And we can practically break the third commandment as well. Christian, do you doubt that God will forgive you? You are breaking the third commandment. You are denying God's mercy and God's grace. Do, do you complain about the circumstances of your life or fear future events? Well, again, you're breaking the third commandment. You're in questioning God's providence. You are denying God's wisdom, God's sovereignty, and his love. If you want to grow in your obedience to this commandment, studying God's word is one of the chief ways that has been given to you for to do it. So, so as you read God's word regularly, as you dig into it deeply, as you consider it carefully, as you meditate on it consciously, as you apply it personally, you will grow in your obedience to the third commandment. You will grow in your reverence for God's name. So the third commandment requires that your words and your thoughts are to be filled with reverence for God, for who God is and for what he has done. But while we're considering our words, we, we also need to consider our oaths and our vows. Oaths and vows. I'd ask if you please turn with me to uh, Matthew chapter 5, uh, verses 33 to 37. 
Matthew 5, 33 to 37. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not fair, swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Do not take an oath by your, by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Now, some groups, like the Quakers, take this to mean that one should never take an oath. Well, this can't be the case because there's other, other places in Scripture that, that, that clearly show that an oath is being presented in a positive light. Again and again in Scriptures, we, we see, for example, that Abraham made his servant swear an oath that he would, would find a wife for Isaac for his own people. And, and Joseph swear, making his brothers swear that he would uh, that, that, that swear an oath that they would bury him in the promised land. Or, or Paul making the Thessalonians swear an oath that they would read his letter to the church. Again, these are, are descriptive. These are describing things that happened. But in the context of Scripture, they, they're being presented in a positive light. So they're not just descriptive, but the scriptures are affirming that this is a good practice. And we know that scripture cannot contradict scripture. So, so what's happening here? If it's not wrong to make an oath, what is Jesus saying here in, in Matthew 5, 33 to 37? What was Jesus teaching? So this is again why you need to understand the importance of context. Of context. As is true throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was showing us where the Pharisees got it wrong and we are to get it right. The Pharisees had corrupted the original intention and meaning of the law and had added their own traditions. So Jesus sets out not only to correct the false teaching of the Pharisees in the Sermon on the Mount, but also to replace it with the, the true teaching of the law. The, the enduring truth of God's moral law that was written on the heart of man at, at creation as a reflection of God's moral will and God's moral character. So he declares this, this original intention uh, not as, as in the codified, just the codified legal requirements that were there for Israel, not as a, as a means of, of salvation, for we know that salvation is by grace alone, but as a way that God is showing us how we can walk in loving obedience to Him. So in this brief passage here on, on oaths, Jesus is teaching essentially three things. He's teaching that we are not to make an oath by anything other than God Himself. And you can see that this is actually an application of the third commandment. Also not by making oaths lightly. Again, another application of the third commandment. And the third, that your word should be your bond. Again, another application of the third commandment. When someone goes to court and puts their hand in a Bible and, and swears to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. That, that's a good and a proper oath. Similarly, when you got married and vowed something along the lines of, I take you to be my, my wedded husband or, or wife, to have and to hold from this day forward for better or for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us apart, do us part according to God's holy ordinance. These vows are an opportunity to 
to honor the third commandment, to revere the name of the Lord. And friends, it's not just those who leave their spouse that are breaking this vow. You break this vow, your wedding vow, that you made not primarily with your spouse, but with God, towards God. You break this vow whenever you fail to love or to cherish your spouse. Any vow or any oath is an opportunity to either keep or to break this commandment, and so we should not enter into them lightly. This doesn't just include vows that are made directly to the name of the Lord or in the name of the Lord. When Jesus said, what you, let what you say be simply yes or no, what he's saying is that your word should be enough, that your word should be your bond. Essentially, that, that you bear the name of the Lord. You bear the name of your Lord, and, and so that whatever you say or, or do, that, that you're going to, excuse me, to do it as a Christian, as one who bears the name of God. So I hope you can see more of what the Lord is commanding here with your words and your thoughts when it, when it comes to the obedience of this word. And you realize as you begin to study this that, that you don't do it. You begin to realize that you fall woefully short of what this command requires. And so make this your prayer. Psalm 19:14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is a prayer that God delights to answer. Have you asked the Lord to help you to revere his name in your thoughts and in your words? Prayer is another one of the chief ways that you grow in obedience to this commandment. I mean, I hope you pray this. After all, I spent a, a long series on the, on the model prayer. And what's the first petition? Hallowed be your name. The, the petition, this petition and, and all of the petitions of the model prayer fall under that great head that God be, God's name be hallowed. So, so when you pray for God's kingdom to come, for God's will to be done, when you pray for your daily bread, for forgiveness and for protection, you are asking that God's name be hallowed by you. That all of what you think and all of what you say and all of what you do will be for the glory of his name. You're confessing that you can't do it. And you're asking God's help to do it. So this then takes us to your works. To your works. And, and again, I, I, the main focus I wanted to do there initially was, was on, on, on our words. But, but what also follows from this is our works. Because the third commandment is not just about what you say, but also what you do. Again, Colossians 3.17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so there are many times that you take the name of the Lord in vain without uttering a word. Likewise, there are many times that you have revered the name of the Lord without uttering a word. Again, all of life is worship. You bear the name of the Lord. Christian, you have been given God's name. His name is written on your forehead. Revelation 14.1 and 
Whenever you choose to obey the Lord in the face of temptation, you are revering the name of the Lord. Whenever you choose to cling to the Lord in the face of trials, you are revering the name of the Lord. Whenever you choose to stand up for his truth in the face of persecution, you are revealing, or you're revering the name of the Lord. Be encouraged, saints. God is at work in you. I see you on a regular basis revering the name of the Lord in all kinds of circumstances. And infinitely more important than me, God sees you doing this. And God is blessed. God is pleased. God is honored when you do this because it's, it's his work in you, enabling you and causing you to do it. But the implications of your bearing God's name also means that when you sin, you are breaking the third commandment. Paul warned the Jews in Romans 2, 23 and 24. You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And sadly, the same is, is true for you and I. Whenever you or I break God's law, we are blaspheming God's name and we are causing it to be blasphemed among unbelievers. Like Jesus said in, in Luke 6.46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? When we profess God's name but do not live in accordance with it, we take his name in vain. Paul spoke of the, the false believers in Titus 1.16 who profess to know God, but deny him by their works. He says they are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. May this not be true of any of us. If you are sitting here as an unbeliever this morning, see your sin, repent of your sin, turn to Jesus in faith, receive the forgiveness that comes through Christ. Receive the strengthening. Receive that, that change of heart that gives you a desire to honor him for who he is. Consider 2 Timothy 2.19. But God's firm foundation stands bearing the seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Brothers and sisters, let the reminder of who you are in Christ help you to seek to revere him with your words and your actions. Well, finally, let's look at our worship. Our worship. We must worship God in a way that lines up with who he is. And again, all of life, all of life is worship. Let's consider for a few moments some specific acts of worship and how they are to be performed in obedience to the third commandment with the, an attitude of, of dignity and solemnity and sincerity and humility and reverence. Again from Edward Fisher. As the Lord in his second commandment requires that we worship him alone by true means, so in the third commandment he requires that we use the means of his worship after a right manner so that they may not be used in vain. Again, so this is very closely tied with the second commandment. And the means of worship that I want to focus here for a few minutes on are, are singing and prayer and his word. First of all, when you sing, 
Well, last week we spoke about, about how when you sing joyfully, conscious of the truths of God, that, that, you are, that you are singing to Him and singing about Him, that you are obeying the third commandment. But the contrary is also true. When we sing to God, or maybe even don't sing, when our hearts are disengaged from, from the corporate worship that is, is taking place, you are dishonoring God. You're breaking the second commandment. So when you sing praises to God without considering who He is, you're, you're not only breaking the second, second commandment, engaging in false worship, but you're also taking the name of the Lord in vain. So if you're singing absent-mindedly or distractedly, you're breaking the third commandment. God wants not just your words, God wants your heart. Psalm 119, verse 10, with my whole heart I seek you. May that be the desire of all of our hearts. So when we sing God's praises in corporate worship, when you pray, when you, when you pray, when you, whatever your, your physical posture of prayer, when you bow your heart to God in prayer, you are obeying the third commandment, you are reverencing God's name. Again, earlier I spoke about the, the model prayer. What's the, the first petition of the model prayer? Hallowed be your name. And the, so the first three petitions are about, about focused on, on God. And the, the second three petitions under, under that great head are all about committing our cares and our needs to him, again, for the glory of his name. So when you pray, you can consciously obey this commandment or you can break this commandment. Unbelievers break this commandment. Romans 10, 14, how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? An unbeliever has never kept this commandment. But not just those who, who are total unbelievers, but, but any unbelief is a breaking this commandment. James 1, 6 to 8, when you ask things of the Lord, let him ask in faith with no doubting. For, he, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from God. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So, so when you are praying and you are not really believing your prayer, you're breaking the, the, the third commandment. Likewise, when you pray things that are, are not in accordance with God's word, you're also breaking his commandment. When, you're, when your prayer is not submitted to God, your will be done. You're breaking the third commandment. So again, so it's in, in corporate worship, in, in prayer, and in the Word. When you study Scripture, when, when you sit down and, and, and read the Bible, it's an opportunity for you to obey the third commandment. When you build your life around God's word. Like Jesus teaches in the, in the, the, with the, the parable of the, the two houses from Matthew 7, 24. When you build your life on God's word, you are obeying the third commandment. When you are attending to the word, when you are, are listening to the preaching of God's word and, and engaging with the preaching of God's word, when you're reading good books about the word of God and, and who God is, you are you're honoring the third commandment. But again, the contrary is also true. When, you're, when you, you sit down with the Bible, and, and I'm sure we've, you've all done this, maybe even today, 
when, when you just skim, when you, when you don't really pay attention to what God's word says, as you're reading it, you're breaking the third commandment. T. David Gordon in his book, Why Johnny Can't Preach, it's a very depressing book. And not just because it's speaking, it's not just because it's speaking of me personally, but of the experience of so many of us. He says that, that we've become so disengaged and it's, a lot of it is because of, of several reasons, but, but one of the reasons he cites is because of our, our consumption of, of media. He says that when we, we sit down with the Bible, we don't really pay attention. We don't really engage with it. We just skim it. And all we really pay attention to quite often is, is just the things that we already know or already believe. And so we can read chunks of Scripture and not have really been affected or worshipped God with any of it. But it's not just when we read. When we ignore the proclamation of God's Word, we are disobeying the third commandment. Now I know I'm not the most engaging preacher. I'm not an entertaining guy. And I, I hope I don't make it too hard for you. But if you tune out the truths of God's word, you are breaking the third commandment. Or, or when you listen to a, to a sermon, maybe you, you pay attention closely, but never think about it again. As soon as you, you walk out of here after the service, it doesn't come to your mind again. It's one of the advantages of the, the Wednesday evening Bible study. Because we, we talk about the, the, the things that we've learned and then we give opportunity to discuss and to engage and to apply them to our lives. It's a, a way to dig a little bit deeper into the things that we've talked about on Sunday. To reinforce them in our minds. Also, when you, you listen to God's Word, some people spend many hours listening to, to preaching every week, not just on Sunday, but they, they have podcasts, regular podcasts they listen, but, but they don't put it into practice. It's breaking the third commandment. And the reality then is, is we understand that, that all of us have been given this superlative privilege of glorifying God's name. It's not that we could, we could add to the glory of God's name, that God's glory is, is already as glorious as it could ever be. But when we get to participate in proclaiming the glory with our hearts and with our lives, with our worship, this is, this is the, one of the greatest privileges that, that we have and, and one of the greatest privileges that we will enjoy forever is to, to revere God's name. And one day we're going to do it without a sinful flesh to distract us. Without even the distraction of time. But we all fail. We all fail all the time. But one of the best ways that you have that you can that you can worship God is, is also one of the best ways that you have to grow in worship of God. And if, if you paid attention in the last two weeks, you're going to see that this is, it's the same solution. It's through Jesus Christ. It, it's through worshiping Jesus Christ who died as a blasphemer. In fact, when, when he was accused by the high priest when, he, when, he, when the high priest said, well, tell us now plainly, are you the Christ? What did Jesus say? He said, you have said it. And I tell you that you will see the Son of Man descending. And what did the high priest say? Blasphemy. 
This has to be one of the most ironic statements that has ever been made. Accusing Jesus Christ. Accusing the Alpha and the Omega. Accusing the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Accusing the one who's revealed to us as Yahweh. Accusing him of blasphemy. But as Augustine said correctly, they do no less sin who blaspheme Christ now in heaven as the Jews did who crucified him on earth. When we blaspheme the name of Christ in any way with our words or our thoughts or our, our, our actions or our worship, we are committing the same sin that the Jews committed who blasphemed Christ. Like Paul, we were once blasphemers, persecutors, insolent opponents. 1 Timothy 1.13 Like Paul, we were persecuting Christ. Acts 9.5 But God calls us to flee to Christ. To flee to the one whose name you once blasphemed. To flee to the one who you still so easily blaspheme. Jesus has the name that is above all names. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the names of God in the scriptures. And as we talked earlier about, uh, about him, about God as, as, as Elohim, God the Son, we see that, that God is triune, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, through Jesus. We see that, that he is the Lord Almighty as he is sovereign over all things. We see that, that he is the anointed one. Christ in the New Testament. Messiah in Hebrew. Again, Jesus is Yahweh. Flee to the one who is crucified for blasphemy, but who is crucified for your blasphemy. What did Jesus say in, in John 12, verses 27 and 28? Now is my soul troubled, but what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Or John 17, 1, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. Jesus was accused of blasphemy, but he is the one who has fulfilled in every respect the name of who God is. The commandment is fulfilled in Christ. Philippians 2.11 says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And on that day, we look to that day when God will vindicate his name. And when he, when he reveals fully and finally the glory of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, our Lord.
So we, as his sons, as his daughters, adopted into his family, the ones who, because of Christ, can call God Father, we pray more earnestly, hallowed be your name. Let's pray together. Holy God, Almighty God, glorious God, eternal God, King of kings and Lord of lords. Please forgive us for our failure to honor your name. Please forgive us for our failure to worship you and revere you for who you are and all that you have done and all that you're doing and all that you will do. Lord, help us as your people who are called by your name. Lord, to walk in a way that is pleasing, to honor your name in our thoughts, in our words, in our works, in our worship. Lord God, we pray that your name would be exalted by this church. For the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, amen.